Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Brawn Body Health and Fitness Podcast. I'm so glad that you're joining us today. Today, I'm joined by none other than Bob King for the second time this year. You know you're good when you make it on my podcast two times in the same year. Today, Bob and I are going to be discussing his journey through the world of strength and speed coaching. So Bob dives into the strategies that made him a successful high school football coach in addition to what he did in order to succeed as a strength and speed coach for the Dallas Mavericks, the Dallas Cowboys, FC Dallas, and multiple Olympians. Bob's resume really tells the most of the story, but you'll learn a lot more about Bob in today's episode and take away a, a lot of lessons that you can apply to your own daily life. Now before we get to this episode, here's a quick word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by CTM Band and CTM Recovery Products. These are the exact soft tissue recovery tools that I'm using on myself and with my patients day in and day out. CTM Band was founded by Dr. Kyle Bowling, a sports medicine practitioner who treats professional athletes, and he was a former guest on the Brawn Body Health and Fitness Podcast. You can check out his website at the link below and use the coupon code BRAWN10 to save 10% off your order from CTM Band. Bob, welcome back to the podcast. Super excited to have you on today. Well, it's really a pleasure to be here. I, I love getting and having the dialogue and talking about training and sports and all the stuff you and I do. Yeah, for sure. Now, last time we did a deep dive into speed training and how to get athletes faster. And we talked all about roadrunner feet and all these amazing references that you had. Yeah. But today I really want to discuss your journey because I know you've done a lot of different things from uh, strength coach in the MLS to with the Dallas Cowboys, Dallas Mavericks, high school football coach, you've kind of done it all. So I'm curious, where did that journey start? What got you into strength and conditioning and exercise in the first place? Uh, it, it's real easy answer. 12 <laughs> years old. Um, um, when I was a kid, uh, the Dallas Cowboy franchise began in 1960. My mother was a cowboy fanatic and it was unbelievable. Now, just before they got there, you know, um, uh, you know, we front yard everything. We were in the old school days. We played in the front yard until uh, dark and then we got yelled at to come home. And so when the cowboys came to town, uh, mom would take, they had a deal. You could take as many kids as you can get in a car and for an adult end zone ticket, you could get every kid in there for a dollar. That's insane. <laughs> First of all, I'm telling you how old I am. And second of all, it's back in the day where uh, the Cowboys were a French uh, expansion team. They played in the Cotton Bowl. Now the Cotton Bowl is it's about 80,000 right now, but back then it was easily 65, 70,000 seat stadium. So there's not a lot of folks coming to see an expansion team except for the Kings. So we loaded up and went. And uh, back in those days, and you hear that a lot from me, you could, you could sneak down onto the field after the game, climb over the railing, and I did it all. I mean, I walked. I had a, tra I had a tradition then that carried through my NFL career when I would go to the 50-yard line and stand at the emblem, not you know disrespectful, but just stand at the emblem and look around like, wow, I want to do this. And then I would go down the field when the security would yell, hey, kid, get off the field. <laughs> I ran up the tunnel and wait outside the locker room and, and shake hands and and I'll never, ever forget, uh, I don't know if it's a regular or preseason game, but the New York Jets were in town. 
I waited outside and I shook Joe Namus hands and he had on one of those uh, kind of chain ID bracelets with your name on it. I had to have one of those. Joe Namus shook my hand with an ID bracelet on it. It was really cool. So that went on forever and ever. Um, got into junior high football and then high school football and uh, never, ever stopped thinking, man, I, I just I want to play for the Cowboys. I just got to play for the Dallas Cowboys. And so as I got older, uh, I uh, went through stages. I went through high school football. Uh, it was the opportunity to go play football at Texas Tech University on scholarship. And uh, as I got smarter and understood the nature of the game um, in football, I decided like, okay, I may not be able to play for the Cowboys. I'll do whatever I have to to be with the Dallas Cowboys. I'll be the water boy. I need to sweep the locker room. And so the strength coach thing hadn't come in around yet. I mean, they didn't even exist at that time. And so it's either player or water boy, but I'll take whatever's available. And so after I got out of college, things got real, had to get a job. And, and but the one thing I did do is went into coaching. And uh, uh, so I, I, once I got into coaching, now I, back to the old days, we just went in the gym, worked out. So all this is running parallel. I'm playing football, dreaming of the Cowboys, and we're going to the gym and working out. And we're going to the track and running. And we're doing stuff that we say, well, what's going to get us in shape for football? <laughs> Let's wait till 3 o'clock in the afternoon in June and go run 400s. <laughs> we'll be ready. And that's a bad idea, folks. So if <laughs> that is a bad idea. Especially so, in Texas, nonetheless. In right? Texas, you know, we're talking June, July at 3.34. Just, just wait till it gets really warm. <clears throat> so... We went through that deal and um, uh, uh, went to college, got out, got into coaching. And uh, I realized now that I'm a coach, I realized, and this goes into all the fields, I realized how much I did not know. And so if there was a clinic, uh, I couldn't afford to fly anywhere, but if I could drive somewhere, I was going to a some sort of coaches clinic. Now, Texas has the Texas High School Coaches Association you're in it. You're a card carrying member of that association. It's the largest in the country. They have a um, uh, Texas High School Coach Association convention every year uh, between Dallas, Fort, uh, Fort Worth, San Antonio, and Houston. And so you go to that. And from there, you just start learning everything you can about X's and O's and all that kind of stuff. And from that spun off, the NSCA, excuse me, the NSCA came around in what, 83 or something. Man, I'm signed up day one. And so from there, got to get in the car and drive to those things. So, uh, you know, I worked hard and I finally got a little money. I could fly to Kansas City or somewhere close. So I started going to the NSCA clinics and I said, man, there's a whole nother avenue because it was brand new. And uh, the guys from uh, the West Coast, John Garhammer and, and, and the other guys, Michael Stone, these guys were coming around. And it's like, all I know now is how much I don't know. <laughs> I started to try to learn and apply, learn and apply. Those days were also the uh, our infatuation with the with the East. You know, the the uh, I guess everything from Bulgarian, Romanian, especially those those secret Russians. And so uh, we started to give a lot of um, speakers that came over and either defected or got here to speak or something that, um, you know, Remy Korchimi and the speed stuff and, and all the guys that came in and spoke on the uh, Olympics and uh, the training and the periodization that was now a wave and hitting. 
so much to absorb and it's so much new that it just spawned, you know, bigger and bigger areas. You know, what they do now, the NSCA, for example, with the uh, essentials of strength and conditioning, it's all right there. <laughs> it's on the shelf. Go look it up. You know, we had to go find it. We had to hunt it down, which is kind of cool because it just it added to the experience because now you're in the room with a bunch of guys in the same, same situation as you. All right, so that's how I, that's a, a snapshot really of, of the, the coaching side of it. And a lot went into it. Now, there's little subplots here. As a coach in football, and eventually I got you know sucked into track, which was great as a, a good blessing on my part. And so again, back to the clinics, because I wasn't a track guy, but they were going on all over the place. So I could go learn. Track and field is as much a learning situation as uh, uh, doing it, so to speak. And so, you know, it really, I think, really helps to have been, had playing experience in football, uh, but you can coach without it. But the track and field, uh, I got hooked on that as well. So now I'm learning really the nuts and bolts of sprinting. And uh, we had that, you know, at that time, again, in those days, uh, one of the featured speakers was Tom Telez and his protege, <laughs> Carl Lewis, kind of a fast guy. And so that's who I'm learning speed from. I'm learning, uh, I'm learning shot putting from, uh, uh, at that time, the world record holder. And uh, it's just like, this is, this is so good. This is where I want to make a point about the essence of details in coaching. And uh, uh, excuse my, my age now, I forget. Uh, but the guy that was the, uh, at that, that time, the world record holder, uh, was given the details of the, in the clinic of how to throw. And so uh, I got, he got through and at the end of a clinic, I'm this guy, you know, cause I'm going to raise my hand and ask questions. And afterwards I went up um, and I was talking to him and I said, now, what do you do with your eyes? You know, cause you're putting a shot, you know, so, but your, your body follows your head and your head follows your eyes. And so he goes, oh, you follow it. You follow the shot put out of your hand. And it's like, dude, that's freaking amazing. Cause you know, uh, there's a lot of ways people throw, but you see, you just follow it out and it, you know, helps direct and guide to the shot, the throw, the hand and the body. And so it was just that kind of, not just learning that one element of the eyes, but learning that dude, the coaches and the athletes at this level, they know everything. If I said left pinky toe, what's it doing? Oh, you keep it curled up or, or whatever. They know what's going on. And at that time, we really didn't, we didn't have dart fish or we didn't have the iPhone to play things back frame by frame that we do now. And so the learning was, in a, when I say hardcore, you had to be, you had to be there. You had to be on site. You had to be, uh, uh, you know, very granular with like, okay, can you do that again? And we finally got a VHS camera <laughs> and have carried that thing around on our shoulder and started going out what I used to call when I coached track uh, on Tuesday, I'm bringing out coach video and I would go around the different events and take, you know, video and, and, you know, break it down. And I just learned how to do video analysis kind of, you know, you know, uh, what do you call it uh, on the road, so to speak, and just uh, make it up as we go, take a clinic knowledge and see if it applied to my kids. And we built on that. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like you really pioneered a lot of the things that are kind of <laughs> commonplace nowadays. Yeah, and this was, this is probably what, 40 years ago. I don't know what's, uh, I started coaching. Uh, my first coaching gig was in, uh, 77. So, uh, by the time I got into the eighties. So yeah. Okay. 
easily 40. As you said, you were there for the start of it all from the NSCA to <laughs> Texas Coaching Association. That's incredible. If you can remember, because I know uh, we're dating yourself a little bit. Here, all right. But what, what was your daily life like at that point? Were you spending a lot of time reading and doing the video analysis and coaching? Like, were they, you know, late nights and early mornings every day? Or what was well, yes, the time uh, commitment? And in, in, I think we, we kind of set the standard. But in Texas, um, there's uh, two seasons. Uh, football season and off season and, <laughs> and football season lasts like 11 out of the 12 months right yeah, we're all the time. slow down for christmas for a week or something yeah, yeah we're um you know the the way it works in texas as i mentioned the coaches in this uh, uh high school coach association we call that coaching school here you, know, you go <laughs> and you hear you know it's it's a recruiting tool nick saban will come speak because he wants all the you know, Texas high school coaches to know he cares about Texas high school football, which he does. And so then we will have um, uh, a high school coach association. Then we, you know, that's over. The next week we went into a staff meeting and the coaches would come in and we say, okay, what are we doing this year? What are we running? Are we making changes? Now this goes on all year, but we start narrowing it down. And so typically it's coaching school, coaches meetings, two a day start and we go. And now it's seven days a week. It, it just period. So like um, as a coordinator and even then becoming a head coach, the film went wherever where I went. And so uh, uh, I know when I was a head coach, I hired a guy that was a buddy of mine. It was a, he was a coach. So I knew him as a football coach and a, a good friend. I hired him as the offensive coordinator. I was the defensive coordinator. And so what I wanted to do is I made sure our team was not going to fail in case he failed. Now, what that meant was I got my game plan together for the defense and I went back, looked at the film and I sketched out the offensive game plan as well, based on what our system was. And I had it literally physically had it in my back pocket on Monday and we went out and if it wasn't going to work, I was going to say, Randy, we need to, this is what we need to do. I never, now we were in that, we were together for three years in that new program. I'd never pulled it out of my pocket. He was that good. And so uh, we did very well, I thought, for, you know, a new team and the, and the growth we experienced over a three-year stretch. But because of that, you're, you're, you're never off. And so if, you know, if you're working or teaching, your off period is <laughs> film room. And that's just how it goes, because you have obviously the opponent, you have your guys, you have to evaluate like if this, I don't like our backup situation here. If our right guard gets hurt, the, the backup's just not going to get it done. So you're always, always trying to, how can I do things better? Whether it's a, a offense, defensive, special team scheme, if it's our, our conditioning, if it's the in-season weight program, where are we not doing our best? So you just don't take off. Yeah, yeah, it's a constant analysis of the strengths and weaknesses and trying to improve on the weaknesses, but also accounting for the strengths and how you can play into them. And yeah. uh, I think you're probably the type of guy, you seem very analytical. So you're probably thinking, okay, well, here's our strength. Here's how the other team's going to try and exploit that. Like they've got this one guy on DN, he's massive, he's fast, yes. he's going to mow over. We're going to have to double team him all game long. Right, and what you do is is I always played or scheme to my player's strength. And so because of um, our our situation, I came up with a uh, routine. Now offense, you gotta run what you run and execute. And uh, uh, we had, you know, you do a lot of formations and things to try to get an advantage. On defense, my, my job is to stop your bread and butter. 
And so uh, if we played 11 games, I just about had 11 defensive fronts, you know, just variations of stuff. And we would, we would work on them in practice. And because I felt like there was a kind of two week learning, what I always did is we took, if we're playing uh, the Lions, okay, the front for that week was called Lion. Okay, so this, we had a signal and the, he, the captain would call Lion, Lion, and we'd line up in that. Now we had situations and short yardage and, you know, prevents and ski, uh, stunts and things. But if we want to stop your bread and butter, we have to put in lion. And so what happened was it, you kind of stumbled onto stuff. Well, I had, you know, base defense. I had lion. Well, eight weeks later, we're playing and I have lion, falcon, charger. I have all these defensive fronts I can call on. And the key was you hadn't seen them or in, in four weeks because we played it against lion. Then the next week you didn't see it. Mm-hmm. So if you're scouting us, it'll, what are they running? <laughs> Yeah, it's constantly changing. They don't changing. know how we're doing. We don't. They don't know how we're scheming. Yeah, you know what our short yardage is. Here's how we line up. That's a given. I'm going to run that and stun out of it. But our bread and butter is against your bread and butter. And so when we get to the playoffs, if we make it, I've got fronts you haven't seen because you long forgot about games one through five. You want to know how we did in the last half of the season, how we did in the first round of the playoffs. So creativity. Now let me go back to 12 years old. Tom Landry did things with the Cowboys that were never done. Uh, in the in the beginning, the offensive line would stand up at the you know on a on a command. They would stand up and then go into a stance. They were uh, kind of bent over at the knee or at the waist. <clears throat> he would do a stand up. And and when I heard him speak in the clinic one time, he talked about that. And he said, "We didn't have anything. We're an expansion team. We're not good." And so what I did was I had the offensive line stand up on command and the backs would shift and the defense would have to hustle to find out where everybody went. And we hopefully could catch them out of, out of this alignment. Now I didn't do that, but the principle was do something to make the defense have to work at it, you know? And so um, when you played us, you had to prepare and you couldn't always be prepared. And so uh, that's kind of the way, you know, I've coached, you know, how can I get my uh, eight, 800 meter guys to be faster? You only have so much, you know, creativity within track and field, but there's training elements. So I needed to be creative with that. Whether I did, I need more aerobic work, anaerobic, I need shorter, longer, whatever, what do I need? And you break the race down and so forth. Um, and it just went on through all the training because, you know, now we're in a, obviously a 12 month cycle of training. You know, there's obviously off season, there's two off seasons, you know, with school, especially there's the school off season and summer training, which is an off seasons program. Program design becomes critical because your kids are in there for years and you got to find ways to challenge uh, their systems to, to grow and adapt. Right. And I think that's great advice for not just the sports and athletic realm, but for life in general, right? <laughs> yes, so if is. you want to be successful in any endeavor in life, you're going to have to switch up the mainframe every now and then. You can't just do the same thing over and over again and expect a different result each time. And you have to find new ways to challenge yourself and play into your own strengths, addressing your own weaknesses, but also ensuring that no one else exploits anything that you're vulnerable to. And that can be in business, that can be in entrepreneurship, that could be in the sport athletic realm. You can apply it wherever. Uh, but I think those principles that you pick up from sports at such a young age carry you so far down the line. 
Oh, no question. And you probably heard this before, but uh, some coaches have uh, 20 years of experience and some have one year of experience 20 times. <laughs> and uh, uh, that, that, that that's goes everywhere as well. And I understand the Krenzel. I got, I got an idea that if, if you have a system and if it's working and not broken, don't fix it. I get that. That's, I do that in my training and my preparation, but I don't stop studying or looking or evaluating. And uh, um, here's the deal with, with back to the speed trading element. In that area, one, another synonym for coaches is problem solver. Well, you know, you come in and I show you all this stuff. Well, it doesn't work. Well, coach them, coach them up. Well, that means you've got to solve a problem. So, uh, you know, we've come up with so many different gadgets. We have that uh, back to the speed train thing. You know, we talk about carry the egg, don't break it. That became a windfall. And so carry the egg, don't break it. Well, some kids, yeah, you broke the egg. And then on the other hand, don't drop it. So carry, break, and drop. There are three options and only one of them works. So a lot of them were the open hand. <laughs> I know I don't want to timestamp this, but you know, there was something came out in an article that's, this is relevant, um, about actors and running, you know, and, and Tom Cruise by far leads all actors <laughs> in on-screen running. <laughs> so uh, here, you know, within the last week, I finally got around to go see Top Gun 2. <laughs> And there's Tom Cruise just hollered butt somewhere. I can't remember where he was, but oh, he's, they've been working with him. He actually looks pretty good now. <laughs> but I think, I think in Hollywood, acting is taught to run with an open hand because it's more dramatic. You see it. It's like, wow, it's, they're getting it. You know, not as much as they could, but you know, that's one of the things that you are always looking at is problem solving. So if you're running, you know, with a karate chop, what do I do? Carry the egg, but don't break it and so forth, or don't drop it. So time if in coaching is problem solving. That's what I did as a coordinator in football and a head coach. Um, uh, you know, you put guys in position to play to their strength and help the team. I had a guy that was a guard. <laughs> he was, he, I'm sorry, it's just, he was a guard for life. And the problem was we couldn't, you know, he was going to be okay, but we couldn't, couldn't get him motivated because he thought he was a running back. And it's like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do here? So uh, we were short of players. He had to do something. Well, it finally, you know, kind of crossed my mind. I know I'm all over the map here, but there's a connection. Um, I finally decided like we ran a two back set. I'm, I'm a two back offensive guy. And I said, Randy, I said, we need a, we need a fullback that can block. And he goes, we don't have anybody. Okay. Get Mansky. <laughs> that was his name. Sorry. Get him, put him at fullback, give him a 40 number. He'll be a happy, happy uh, running back guard. And sure enough, we put him back there and, you know, we give him the ball once in a while on a short dive. And he, you know, if he'd get two yards. If we need 10 yards, he'll get two yards. And so <laughs> we would put him back there and, and we run our leads and other uh, design plays that we needed a blocker in the backfield and that became a, kind of a windfall for us offensively because it helped with our schemes because we needed that extra blocker and I learned how to you know utilize him and vulnerable spots on the defense we could exploit because hey we got we have an extra guy you don't have somebody to account for it and so you play a guy to his strength we just colored over it a little bit instead of 64 he was 46 and so off we went Right. And now you've got a, you know, tiny 
five foot seven, 140 pound cornerback that's trying to block a 270, 280 pound guard coming at him at full speed. Yeah, it's not it going to end well for him. It worked. And so uh, uh, we had a pretty good running game as a result because we had an extra blocker. I would imagine. So what was the transition like from coaching football into strength coaching and speed coaching for the Mavericks and FC Dallas and the Cowboys? Like, how did well, you make back that to shift? The, yeah, and back to the, you know, kind of the first ever kind of deals. Um, the Mavericks, I was their first strength and conditioning coach. And so we all were learning. In other words, you know, how do I handle these guys? And the guys are like, what do I do with this guy? And so um, it was a... Uh, uh, let me think you're talking about the best athletes in the world. So what you don't do is go in, you don't go in the locker room and say, all right, listen, here's what we're going to do. And so, um, the way I did it was with the Mavericks, of course, it's a lot easier in, in the sense of one-on-one -on -one. it's like, okay, uh, I'm just use generic here, John, here's what I want to do. I think with your position, your skill set, I think this will help you. Uh, I don't think it'll hurt your blah, blah, blah. And so I just drifted out. I didn't come in, you know, I'm the boss, listen and listen tight. I want to make sure uh, we had to have a rapport. And so uh, respect and understanding and understanding what their game was like. And it grew pretty quick. So um, uh, put in, you know, I was hired in a, an off season. So we started training safely because we didn't have to worry about games and stuff. Players came in. Uh, we started the lifting program, had it combined with the running program so that they, they stayed fit, speed my thing. So we got, got them used to that. And there's plenty of pickup games. I mean, they're playing all year. They, they just uh, had a couple of players that, you know, we weren't in the playoffs would say they don't touch a ball until after the NBA playoffs. And then they start ramping back up, which is a good time frame to take a break. So we'd start learning how to lift. And then I had to figure out how do I transition this into in season. That was the tough one. Off season's easy. I mean, you show up, work out, go home. In season with the NBA, it's like, you know, you, you come off the court and you're you're getting dressed and hustling to the airport because you're going to you're going to take a flight and play the next night. We play like back-to-backs with uh, I don't know like Phoenix came to town. You go get in a locker room, get on the plane, go play Phoenix tomorrow night at their place. <laughs> so like, dude, you know, it's it's a it's a tough, it's a grind. So you have to lift strategically to make it work. Now, what we also decided, I just made this unilateral decision, which wasn't that big a deal. Off season, I'm sorry, rookies were in off season year round. They're not getting off the bench. I mean, unless you have that guy, I mean, we had Jason Kidd and so he's playing. And so, uh, but otherwise the last, I'm going to say four to five guys on the roster, uh, that kind of, that churns, you know, guys get let go and brought in, they're in off season and they're working out and lifting and running because they have to kind of be ready. And if they were to get released or traded or something, they still need to be ready. You know, that that's the trick of the NBA because you don't get a regimen that's like Monday, Wednesday, Friday, nine o'clock. You don't get that. Uh, you get little segments and bites. And so uh, even traveling was not useful. It wasn't really that, at that time in the NBA. I went to went to uh, West Coast on one trip, and we went in, and the arena was, I don't know, was just not good. And the weight room, you know, where we could have done anything, was at the back of the home team's locker room, and was like all of our beginning weight rooms. 
it's like okay you go through the garage and then you go out back and underneath the awning is is like dude really and so this is again the beginnings of strength conditioning in the nba so what you see now did not exist and so um i was the we finally figured out i think the fourth or fifth guy hired in the league and so uh, it was really really new that whole new world i mean you're kind of going in again as a pioneer of well here's what i did in high school here's the opportunities and potential i see but i also really like your approach of individualizing everything to the player in front of you and not going in guns ablaze and being like okay look y'all are going to listen to me because i know what i'm doing or, you know, even trying to show them up a little bit. I've talked with people in the past that that's their thing, right? Yeah. When they go into a facility, they have to prove it to whoever they're working with. <laughs> and unfortunately, even yeah. if you're in the best shape of your life, you're probably not going to jump higher and run faster and lift more than every athlete on a professional basketball team. <laughs> you're, you're hitting all the right buttons. And uh, the deal is this. Um, uh, you know, we had a, in basketball, it's pretty simple. You know, you have point guard distribute, you have a number, you have a two guard score points. And we, we had that at that time. We had a Derek Harper was a great point guard, little Rolando Blackman could just fill it up. And then we had the front court guys, the three, four and five position would kind of, yeah, kind of rotate a little bit. If you have a seven footer, the funny thing about this, um, people always ask me like, so-and-so what's his vertical jump? 28 inches. So what? He's an NBA player. He's seven feet tall. He doesn't <laughs> jump high, you know? And so seven feet tall is kind of a restriction anyway, unless you're a freak. But, you know, I got some, some big, you know, size 17, you know, seven footers and, you know, their vertical was like somewhere between eight and 10 inches, but they didn't have to their wingspan and so forth. They're going to rebound the ball. Uh, shot blockers are a different animal. And so you just train them to their skill set. And I had a guy who was, oh my gosh, Terry Davis, one of my all-time favorite great players, was a 6'9 forward. 6'9 guys are a dime a dozen in, in the NBA, except for he could clear it out. And so he would, <laughs> we always talked about he'd have a, uh, you know, a triple single, no points, five fouls, and, ten, and nine rebounds. Well, he didn't score, but his job was to rebound the ball. He actually had more than nine. He would get 20 rebounds, but he could clear it out. And he would come in and he would move weight. I mean, he was a 300 pound bench press guy and everything else was, you know, matched to that in terms of uh, weight lifted. But his job, he had a knack for clearing out the paint and rebounding the basketball. And it got to be so comfortable with the players that I had guys coming in before the game at the weight room at the arena and said, Bob, put 225 on the bench. No, we are not doing that. Let me see how many I can do. We are not doing that. The inmates are not running the asylum, you know, cause Terry could bench press 225 all day and all night. And so, you know, guys at his position would also come in, you know, George McLeod was a good, strong guy. I go put 225. I'm not doing that, George, get out of here. And so you had to, it was a nice problem to have. And so my job is to take, Okay, it's like this. My job as strength and conditioning coach is to train and condition these guys, but to take care of them. So to hurt them, get them sore, make them, uh, you know, limp around because we train too hard, not my job. My job is to take care of them. Right, right. Because if you start detracting from their ability to play the sport, which is what they're getting paid millions of dollars to do, then 
you might end up being the one on the chopping block. Which They fire the coach, not the player. <laughs> I think you said last time when you get a coaching job in a professional sports league, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when you're going to be turned over to the next one. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm curious, yeah. how did you jump around from basketball to football to soccer to you had the U.S. skeleton as well in there, the Olympics? How did you jump around to all those different sport-specific <laughs> hey, training approaches? Let me let me just tell you this, and I, I don't know how else to explain it. They found me. I happened to be in the hotbed of people. And so um, Dallas was the mecca of stuff, you know. Uh, the You know, the Cowboys were – Tom Landry became a, just a, you know, the hat and, and the Cowboys and Tech Shram America's team was growing. And then the Mavericks came along and they made a hard push to be independent and not live in the Cowboys shadow. Uh, you know, uh, the hunts here in town, um, I coached Clark hunt, who is the owner of the Kansas city chiefs. And, uh, uh, his dad, uh, Lamar was prominent with, you know, building, uh, the soccer world here in America. And so, I just happened to be around and just kind of absorb their energy or something. And so one thing led to the next where I'm, I'm uh, <laughs> I can't remember how this went. I was at the, uh, uh, at a game and uh, uh, I, I knew the um, general manager for the Mavericks was a parent at the school where I was coaching and he had a skiing accident and blew his ACL. And so he had said, look, can you come to my house? I have a little weight room there. And can you work on my, he was, he, he stayed kind of secluded. He didn't get out in public, which I understand. He can you come over and work my leg out and get me back in shape and get my knee going? I said, sure. No problem. So I started doing that. We started talking and he started hmm, thinking, and they didn't have a guy at that time. He says, look, I want you to talk to, and he set up some, I didn't know what was going on. And I ended up interviewing with, you know, the front office general manager, the trainer and all that. And I also learned that I, I was competing against a couple of, of uh, institutions. Um, there was you know, organizations that had staffs of everybody and I, I got the job ahead of them. And you just get this domino effect. So now uh, I'm, I'm, I'm getting interest. People are calling me and say, hey, Bob, you gotta buy this, you need this. You know? And so I became uh, a resource to, to, for people to sell to, you know, equipment and whatnot. But I did meet one guy. Um, this was kind of also incidental. I think it was uh, maybe right pre-Maverick, pre uh, Randy Smythe, an influential, influential individual in my life, I had a company called Speed City. And he's where I really learned the hurdle ladder tricks. And he came down and, and did a summer clinic for me, with me. And then he said, I got a guy you need to meet. Next thing I know, I'm in Valley. I'm in Valley Ranch having uh, dinner with uh, Mike Wojcik, who is a strength coach of the Cowboys, and Randy basically had brokered a deal for me to work for or with Rand, uh, Mike as a uh, off-season assistant because I had the Maverick job, and so it just was compatible because at that time we weren't very good with the Mavericks. We weren't winning very much, going through coaches, and I had time in the summer we were off, so I could take care of uh, uh, Cowboy duties and Maverick requirements without interfering or missing. And so it just, the timing was phenomenal. How did that happen? And then the fall rolled around the Cowboys went to camp. I went to camp with the high school team and the Mavericks were starting to kick in preseason. And so <laughs> how does this happen? I don't know. And I say all that because, you know, when I've had guys say, I want to do what you do, I say, 
that's probably not going to happen because I don't know another guy on the planet that had a high school football job, a high school track job, head strength conditioning coach for an NBA franchise, the assistant strength conditioning coach for a NFL franchise. And oh, by the way, I know a guy who wants some speed training and he happens to be the head of the USBSF or the bobsled skeleton. And he wants you to go to Lake Placid and train and Canada and train and Salt Lake City and train. So it just, uh, it found me and I just, I just rode with it. I never, I wouldn't, I never got a job I applied for ever. And so I got a three by five card one time from a high school thanking me for my application. <laughs> so that's the end of that. I never applied again. And so um, I had these opportunities back to the idea about the video and filming. That's where I, that's where I went. You know, I watched film. Um, now you're getting all over the map again. Um, I had a head coach at the Mavericks that came in and said, I need you to give me a, a pre-camp conditioning test. Just make it relevant to basketball. That's it. Yeah. He left. <laughs> he didn't tell me what he said, just run it by Brad, the assistant and see what he thinks. I said, okay, got the film out. I took one player, uh, one position on the, on the basketball team. I got one of our Maverick films and I tracked that position, not the player. Cause they come in and out. And I don't remember. I think it was the three, the forward. I said, let me see what he does. And I tracked his movement for a quarter. And I did the pencil and paper and I tried to calculate what's going on here. And so what I came up with, if you play a full quarter without coming out in an NBA basketball game, you're going to run about a mile. And so, hmm, what can I do? So if that's the case, then let's do this. I put a deal together. I did the math. And so a 94 foot court, we ran one, two, three, four. You had 24 seconds to get that in. I figured out that I could come up with a distance that would match the shot clock. And you theoretically are working for 24 seconds on offense or on defense. And 24 seconds, you got to bust it before you transition and go back. And so I thought, 24 seconds, we can do this. 94 feet, I can make this work. I'll give them a 48-second rest. That's two to one rest, rest work ratio. <clears throat> so... I also calculated that if you ran 14 of those, you would run five yards short of one mile. That's and perfect. I, you can fact check me because I've checked and rechecked. And listen, I, I want to say I'm a genius, but this is just, was, how did this happen? <laughs> you know, it's, I never sit down and say, how can I find a mile in here somewhere? <laughs> I just started doing stuff and putting it together. And next thing I know, all right, guys, I'll get you in shape to play one quarter. The rest of it's on you. <laughs> I will get you in shape to get in shape. That's how sports works. And so um, off we went, and it was a it, it was a, a big hit. The coaches liked it. The players hated it. That's a hit. And so what turns out is that became my go-to in practice when, you know, um, I randomly came up with, if you don't play 20 minutes, they always came to see me. You know, if the arena emptied out, we'd go back on the court and said, let's run, just run 24s. Okay, let's go. Everybody knew what 24s were. They didn't like them, but they're fast and get out of here. And so that spawned, and this is how the dominoes fell, that spawned conditioning tests from then on. So uh, what do I do for the Dallas Burn soccer team? Well, we're not running 24s because soccer runs a whole lot more than that. So I, I, I call it the burn one five. It's a one and a half mile run on a soccer field. 
and it's just it's not fun. And I can't try to remember how it works. We you start on the inline, you sprint to the uh, you sprint to uh, uh, the other inline, you turn, you walk to the 16, you jog to the midfield, and you take off running again. Something of that nature. But the point is, because of this, here's what I want everybody to understand. I had the soccer coach hired me and said, my guy's got to sprint for 90 minutes. And uh, the first thing that went through my mind is like, you're out of your mind. <laughs> hey, we're not, nobody is sprinting for 90 minutes. So let's get the film out. And so I would stand on the sideline. I'd watch the film and I came up with four speeds in soccer, in professional soccer, sprint, jog, walk. And late in the game, when you're getting tired, the jog becomes a fast walk. <laughs> anybody out there just go ahead and you know suck it up and sit through an entire soccer game watch the frontline players sprint jog walk and fast walk and you kind of really almost have to be on the sideline or in the at the game to see that where you you see them just trying not to jog but fast walking so that run i did involved everything but the fast walk i mean you know had a sprint had a jog and had a walk in it so, mm -hmm. you know, if you want to call it sport specific, I tried to match that. <laughs> and so we went to football. And so we did 50s. And the reason we did 50s was, all right, so, you know, we pretty much, we can establish a football play. Let's go 3.5 seconds, three and a half seconds, you're done. Um, the play clock, you usually get 25 seconds in the huddle and that kind of thing. So what I did was I said, okay, what can I do for, you know, 3.5 seconds to simulate football. Uh, don't think anything. <laughs> so uh, what I decided, I started looking at it. And so I decided, and this is absolutely, you know, locker room science. And so let's run fifties. And so uh, I can't remember the time, but it, your group as a whole run 50 yards and with football gear or, or even just pads, no shoulder pads, pants on, it's going to take you six, six or seven seconds. So I just randomly decided if I double the time, if a play takes three and a half seconds, if we can run in space for seven seconds, double the time, we might be able to get to the energy output of a you know, you know football play. And so we run 50, uh, 50 yards, stay there, uh, 25 seconds, 24 seconds, something like that with the play clock, rest and go back. And so you're, what do you call it? Um, um, trying to work the metabolic side of things because you, you know, sprint, rest, sprint, rest, sprint, rest. And um, the deal was wide receivers didn't have a whole lot of contact. Quarter had, quarterback had very little and the offensive linemen were always pushing on somebody. And so was the defensive line. Seven seconds just seemed to work out or 50 yards basically worked it out. We all have a hundred different versions of stuff where we do, um, uh, you know, we had uh, crossfires that I did um, I'll explain that in a minute. Uh, coaches have all kinds of stuff they do, but this stuff was just as relevant as I could get to make it, you know, prepared an athlete to play. Now we did other things because events last three hours. So if I just run fifties all the time, I might be good. Oh, by the way, we'd run 12 in a set. We, I call it because the high school quarter is 12 minutes. So basically I right, let's run one per minute. And so, uh, there's more plays than that, but after, um, we get down to, you know, the end of practice, that's plenty. So I determine if we run 12 or set and a half is 18 or two sets, 24, something like that. And so that was our um, metabolic training for football specifically. Um, let's see, what else was there? Basketball, football, soccer, I told you. Um, 
I needed something on the big end of things. And so as a track coach, <laughs> there's not one of us that doesn't know about the butt lock. So if you're running 400 meters and you've never run it before and you take off and, oh, I feel pretty good. You're on that 200 back straight. I'm just going at 250, 300, man, it, the, what I call opening the lactate floodgates. <laughs> so, you know, butt lock sets in and you start tightening up. So I wanted to come up with something and we all ran one tens. The Cowboys ran one tens. I ran one tens with my guys because that's just the best way we go end to end. It's a great anaerobic aerobic conditioning tool. Well, I, um, I told you about the fifties. Uh, some people run gassers. We go across the field. I wanted the combination. I wanted to go wide and across and so long and across. So I put together this thing called Crossfire. So we started at the goal sideline, at the goal line, ran across to the 10 and then back over and weaved across to the 20, 30, 40, 50 to the opposing 40 yard line. That covered half the field or plus, you know, 60 yards length of the field and all the way across the field. So I'm getting what I want. It's about, if I remember, it's right at 384 yards. <laughs> there's my 400. And so uh, we lined them up and just said, put a cone out, said go. And then every time a guy got to the cone, the next person went, we timed it one-to-one -one work relief ratio. So if you ran it, which in those days with our kids was about, you know, let's say 53 seconds was a, you know, pretty good time because you have a change of direction. We had a cone down and you'd be surprised how much work it takes to slow down and go around the cone. If you just bend it, you save energy. But I, I had coaches say, make them go around the cone so they have to decelerate and then accelerate and they are having to work their booty off. Hmm. And so what we did was we just started that line of athletes running zigzag and they were good enough to, they were smart enough to like just walk back slow, <laughs> even though they're on the clock. And it turns out that they were able to walk back almost to the time it took to run it. And it just went boom, boom. And so what about the, the guys at the back? Don't worry about if they get a few extra seconds rest. Those are the, those are the jug butts, man. The linemen, they need it. So I'm not worried about them because it's almost killing them to get it done. And we'd only run two of them. And so that was just ginormous uh, what we did with that to in, enhance our conditioning. And then I put together an indoor version for basketball that we run. So I love it. I love it. You're very creative. And it sounds like a lot of success and doors opened up because of not only the connections that you talked about, but mm -hmm. your work ethic and your drive, because I'm only bet most coaches weren't putting in the amount of time and effort and energy that you spent studying film and all the things that you were doing at a time when it seemed like no one else was. Bob, this has been an amazing episode. Do you have any kind of closing thoughts or closing remarks that you want to share with people listening and tuning in? Well, I do just because I do this on a daily basis. When people ask me, I said, never stop learning. And I, I try to, that's the simplest thing on the planet. And we have the resources with uh, this right here, YouTube and books and, and, you know, colleagues to talk to, but you never stop learning. Do not have one year of experience 20 times. And so that's, that's my go-to piece of advice. What can I do? And then you talk to people, meet people, and just get out and around. For sure. For sure. That's great advice, Bob. For people who want to find out more about you and check out your website and all that, where can they find you? Well, thanks for that, because we'd like you to go to kingsportstraining.com. 
and I've, I didn't do my homework. So I'm on, um, my son has me on uh, uh, Instagram. Is it at Coach Bob King? Is that, is it? I it's either at Coach Bob King or at King Sports Training. I'll double oh, check and link Co to it below. I didn't know if it's an at sign, but it's Coach Bob King. And so that's where my uh, Instagram is. And then uh, uh, I'm sure I'm on some other stuff, but kingsportstraining.com uh, King is the best one. If you go to YouTube, it's King Sports Training. Uh, that's where all our videos and everything are. We have a truckload of those. And um, we're putting stuff on TikTok. That's the other one. I'm, my son got me on TikTok. I, you know, I was like, what? And so <laughs> we have a ton of stuff on there, at whatever that is, uh, a hashtag Coach Bob King or whatever. But you can find me on, on uh, Instagram and TikTok and YouTube and then just the web at, at uh, kingsportstraining.com. Right. And if they don't follow you for the strength and speed and coaching, they should follow you for the barbecue. Oh, man, the green A. There's one, there's one right now. <laughs> Went up this morning. <laughs> love it. Love it, Bob. Always a pleasure. Thank you again for your time, man. Absolutely. Appreciate your offer to do this. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Brown Body Health and Fitness Podcast. If you liked this episode, please make sure to share it with a friend, subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes and leave a review. This way we can spread knowledge and motivation and help reach more people. Thank you again for listening and I'll see you next time.